But welcome back to No Turning Back. Brother Ken, it's a blessing to have you again with us. And Thank you, it's good to be back. Sir, and Tyler, it's a blessing to have you with us this time. And Tyler, yes, I gotta say, back, yeah, I gotta say, Tyler, sometimes it feels like you and Anna just kind of switch, like, y- y'all talk to each other and say, okay, I'm gonna be here this week and not next week, so you have to be there next week and I'll, I won't be. <laughs> yeah, we meet together, we're, we're praying, we're waiting till the 20th episode to to tell you the truth <laughs> <laughs> well we're getting close there we're actually this is going to be episode number 15 right now oh wow wow that many Jeez. yeah so it's I mean, yeah it's been fun <laughs> so we're just going to keep on talking about the same topic we were talking about last week about mental illness in christianity last week we were focusing more on uh, the depression side of mental illness and so today we're going to be talking a little bit more about anxiety in in Christianity and I'm just going to say like I did like I did last week guys I do believe that the this topic of mental illness is not talked much about in church like in a, in a congregational setting at least not from the churches that I've gone to um, and sadly in many of the churches that I've gone to the pastors go on to say that if, if one is dealing with anxiety or depression or mental illness it's a sin issue or it's a lack of faith issue which it could be it could be sin lurking in one's life it could be a lack of faith in one's life and we have to examine our lives we have to to see if we are walking right with God, if there's anything in our lives that we need to change that God is trying to, to get us to change in. But I also believe that it doesn't necessarily have to be sin in our lives or lack of faith in our lives for us to go through these things. Brother Ken, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Because I think there's a lot of confusion about this, and I feel like I am, I as well am confused about this subject. So what... Is there a difference between fear and anxiety? And if so, what is the difference? So the core difference is that, um, let's say that you were walking through the park. And as you're walking through the park, a government pincher comes running up to you and starts barking and snarling and so forth. Uh, And you are concerned that you're about to be bitten by this dog. (laughs) That's fear. The threat is right there in front of you. It's not imaginary. You can see it, uh, and it's it's in the present moment. Anxiety has to do with walking through the park the next day and looking around for that Doberman Pinscher. Maybe he's here again today. I'm not being confronted by him, but I'm concerned that I could be in the same situation I was in yesterday. And so um, anxiety is more future-oriented, um, what might happen um, fear is more based in what's happening in the present. Can fear and anxiety be interchangeable, so to speak? They can be. They, they work pretty much on the same systems in the brain. Um, and uh, the, the key to both of those is a little part of your brain kind of sits in the center of your brain about eye level um, in about your height, and it's, it's called the amygdala. 
and the amygdala is your defense system. It's your fight, flight, or freeze system. Uh, and its job is to scan the horizon for any thought thing that it conceives as a threat. And the moment it detects something, then it goes into its defense system. Um, I call it turning on the lights and sirens, sounds the alarm. Uh, physiologically, it causes your blood pressure to go up, your heart rate to go up. It dumps cortisol and adrenaline into your system, causes you to have tunnel vision and just focus on the problem. Um, and um, that's uh, when, when that gets triggered, then you're in you're in panic mode and you're um, motivated to do something to keep yourself safe. Again, if it's the dog situation, you've got all this extra energy now in your body where you can run if you need to or fight. Uh, so fight, flight, and freeze are the three reactions that we typically take. Um, and we can do any one of those in that moment um, as our body decides what to do to keep us safe or try to keep us safe. Uh, so when there's something really to be afraid of, those things serve as well, but if there's nothing going on, but we're imagining that something's going on or that it could be going on, uh, then we get all the sirens and lights and everything going on, but there's nowhere to go. You, you can't run from not being able to pay your electric bill or uh, you know what you can't fight can't freeze all you can do is just just worry um, and let that cook around in your head and um, let it create the problems that it creates for us would you consider should uh, anxiety be considered a mental illness it definitely um, is a I mean it's it's the normal natural process that um, you want to have in your system because it does help keep you safe uh, but it needs to be balanced and sometimes it can take over and begin to, to run your life um, there can be uh, just like depression there can be a, a biological a chemical imbalance in your brain that uh, predisposes you to anxiety um, and then there are people who have panic attacks and a panic attack is different from anxiety in that you're walking along minding your own business and all of a sudden your amygdala turns on your your alarm system and you start having all the symptoms of anxiety but there's nothing happening and so uh, they can be mild they can be pretty severe uh, a lot of times people go to the emergency room because they think they're having a heart attack or something bad's going on uh, and then the professionals there say, yeah, no, you're having a panic attack. Uh, take this pill and see if that helps. Uh, and sometimes those panic attacks are rooted in an underlying concern. And sometimes it's just a physiological response uh, to keeping yourself safe. I went and looked up the definition of the word anxiety. And it came up with, with one of the um, synonyms being worry. And you just said the, the definition said it was distress and uneasiness, exactly what you what you described, brother Ken. Uh, another one was an earnest but a tense desire, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Anxiety. I think many times can be confused with depression as well. Yes. And I I think that they can. They they 
kind of mingle with one another, kind of the same way that yeah. fear mingles with anxiety. Yeah. I don't know how accurate it would be to assume that many Christians go through stages of anxiety. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, a few years back, I, I began to realize that I did deal with anxiety, and the more I unpacked it, the more I recognized that probably somewhere in my teenage years, I picked it up, and I just lived with it my whole adult life, uh, just thinking that was normal. This is how life is for everybody. And uh, it wasn't until I started getting some help that I was able to recognize, no, I don't have to live this way. Uh, I can lay this down and walk away from it uh, and be be healthy and whole again. So uh, it made a big difference in my body. My, my health got a lot better when I laid the anxiety down. But uh, as you were saying about depression, depression and anxiety really work on the same system. Uh, it's a difference of focus. Oh, if you're if you perceive yourself as being ineffective or your situation is less, uh, facing difficulties you can't figure out how to solve, you're overwhelmed, that sort of thing, that would tend to lead you toward depression. Uh, anxiety is all about safety, uh, and safety can be in a multitude of areas. It can be physical safety. Someone's trying to hurt me, beat me up. Uh, it can be emotionally safety. If I speak an opinion, is that opinion going to be heard or am I going to be criticized? Am I going to be judged? Am I going to be told that I don't have the right to have emotions? I need to just quit being a pain and, and you know, shut up. Am I going to be safe financially? Do I have enough money to pay my bills? Do I have uh, access to medical care if I need it? Do Is my job safe or am I about to be fired? What about my relationship? Is, if my relationship's in danger? All of these things uh, can be uh, issues that create anxiety. If I feel like uh, that I'm not uh, safe in that area, then I'm going to respond. And a big part of that ties back to feeling that I'm not good enough. So if I'm not making enough money to take care of my family, that makes me feel like I'm not a good breadwinner. Um, if I have difficulties in relationships, I say uh, things to coworkers that become offensive or they, they get their feelings hurt or whatever so I'm damaging my significant relationships or my wife and I are struggling and you know she's always mad at me and um, you know that sort of thing so any type of uh, threat that uh, comes from that concept of I, I don't know how to do this I don't know what I'm doing I don't have enough resources I don't have enough time I don't have enough whatever uh, to address the situation. I call it, um, I, I have this scale where we have, this is the threat up here, uh, and then down here are my resources. And if the threat is greater than my resources, that's anxiety. So what I need to do is either reevaluate the threat or reevaluate my resources. And when I'm able to see that I have enough resources, uh, or you know maybe I have more than enough resources, then I'm going to be good. And so it's like if you're driving down the road and your tire blew out and you're thinking, I got $35 in the bank account. That's got to last till Friday. I'm in trouble. What am I going to do? Uh, so this becomes a major deal. But if I have 
you know, $3,000 in the bank account, the tire goes out, I'm like, eh, I'll just go get a new one. Not a problem. Um, so it's, it's the difference in how we perceive ourselves related to the threat that we are perceiving. Um, and I use that phrase intentionally because um, however we perceive a situation is how we're going to react. And so, and the biggest um, resource that we can pull into these situations is God. Um, and but what happens, or what was happening with me, I don't know about other people, but what was happening with me was I felt like, uh, I felt like God didn't love me. I mean, I, he loved me, but he didn't like me. And so if I got in trouble, then he was like, hey, bud, you're on your own. You're not good enough yet. You're not, you know, being obedient enough. And so I'm not going to bless you and take care of you. So you're just going to have to muddle through this on your own. So I felt like it was all up to me, and I needed to make it happen. And, of course, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fantastic businessman. I'm just, you know, a guy making his way in life, and, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing. So I just I would let that, uh, that anxiety just kind of dwell in my heart as I was processing, you know, what I was facing. Um, but if I believe that God loves me and that he's for me, and that was a big transition for me to be able to embrace the phrase, God is for me, um, because I always felt like he was a little bit upset with me. So being able to realize that, okay, yeah, even if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm still his child. You know, you wouldn't not give your son food if he was being disobedient. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're a loving father. You're going to take care of your child, even if he's not doing what he needs to do and our Heavenly Father feels the same way about us and is going to take care of us um, and so it, it was just a matter of working through that concept so that I could adjust the way that I saw uh, how God was with me and so you were talking about faith earlier and this is really uh, a faith concept uh, because God says um, he will take care of us my God shall supply all your needs. Um, but if I don't believe that, or if I don't believe that applies to me, I mean, you know, good for you, he's gonna take care of you. Me, I'm in trouble. Uh, until I pull that belief into my into my heart, and into my emotions and recognize that no, he's always taking care of me, he's always gonna take care of me, I can stop worrying, uh, then I can make that transition. And it's about, it's a reprogramming. So Romans 2, uh, 12, Verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind means you're going to change the way that you think so that you're thinking consistently with what God is saying about you. And so um, if God says he's going to take care of me, then I have to train my emotions to respond whenever a crisis comes up that I'm not alone. He's going to take care of me. Um, one of the ways this worked out in my life was uh, financially. Um, I was in ministry. We were kind of living hand to mouth, so to speak. And uh, um, I managed to save $1,000 in a savings account. I was really proud of myself for that. And, I, and it also, when the balance was up, I felt safe. Okay, I can afford a blown out tire. I can do that, but um, 
God started this process, and it, was, it took me a little bit to recognize what he was doing, but he would take my savings account all the way, and then he would put it all back. And then he would take it away, and then he put it all back. <clears throat> and three or four times into that, I said, would you stop that? <laughs> that $1,000 makes me feel safe. Yeah. And uh, then I said to myself, you know, if I had $10,000, then I would feel safe. And God said to me, no, you wouldn't. You would be worried about a $10,000 expense. He said, here's what you need to do. You need to stop putting your trust in that money and put your trust in the one who gave it to you. Because I can take it away, I can put it right back. Yeah. Um, and so when I recognized that, then I started the process of every time something would happen, that my savings account would go away. Uh, I would panic. I would go into this fear cycle and go, oh, no, what am I going to do? And then I would go, oh, yeah, yeah. God and I talked about this. What am I supposed to do? Okay, he's going to take care of it. <clears throat> and as soon as I would get there, he would come back. And then he would take it away again. And I'd go through that cycle, and then he'd put it all back. And so what happened was that I was able to shorten that cycle uh, it's little by little until it got to the point where one day something negative happened financially. And I was like, hey, it's going to be all right. And as soon as I did that, those things quit happening. It's like God was saying, okay, congratulations, you graduated from this part of the course, time to move on to the next. And so when we're talking about faith, uh, this is the process that God uses to teach us to trust. He'll put us in crises and he'll save us. He'll put us in crises and he'll save us. And if we're paying attention and we're recognizing that every time I go through trials, God's going to take care of me, then I can learn, I can teach my heart to quit being fearful. And this is um, uh, uh, illustrated in the Gospels by the stories of Jesus and the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. In the first story, they're all out there. The disciples are rowing. The wind's blowing water in the boat so forth. And they're, you know, these are seasoned fishermen, and they're panicked. And so they go wake Jesus up, who's asleep in the back of the boat, and say, Don't you care that we, we're perishing? And he stands up and he says, peace be still, the sea calms, the wind quits blowing, uh, and they're able to get safely to shore. So lesson learned is, if Jesus is in the boat, we're okay. Then later on, we see a story where they're, they're on one side of the lake of uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, and the Bible says that Jesus sent them away. He put them in the boat and sent them away, and then he went up in the mountain to pray. And they're out in the middle of the lake again. They get into another storm, yeah. and they're worried about dying. And the Bible says Jesus saw their distress, and he came to them walking on the water. Um, and when he stepped up into the boat, suddenly the boat was at the shore where they were going. So lesson number two, if Jesus is not in the boat, we're safe. But they yeah. had to go through that cycle a couple of times before they were able to figure out that he was going to be there to take care of them. Um, and so for me, that's the core process in dealing with anxiety, um, is being able to recognize what fear I'm telling myself uh, and being able to answer that with uh, how am I enough, how is God enough, how is he going to take care of the situation uh, so that I'm okay. Really, I hadn't, ever, I hadn't thought about how the stories of the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of storms related to 
anxiety and how we should just trust that God's got everything under his control. And so I well, thank you for pointing that out to me. I I hadn't thought about that. You know, one one passage that whenever I think about anxiety, one passage that always comes to my mind is Jeremiah 33 verse 3. And when you study the book of Jeremiah, it's not the most encouraging book in the world. Yes. Like out of, out of the whole Bible, I think one of the one of the saddest books out of the whole Bible is the book of Jeremiah. Yes. Just because of all all that was going on. Jeremiah was prophesying to the people, you're going to be led into captivity. And and it's going to be because you have drawn away from God. And through all of that, one verse that sticks out to me is Jeremiah 33, verse 3. It says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And... I just love that that verse because it's not Jeremiah talking to the people of Israel. It's God speaking through Jeremiah. And God says to the people of Israel, call to me and I will answer. He doesn't say I might. He says I will. Yes. And that's just, that's always been an encouragement for me. I know one thing that, that one of my good friends tells me many times whenever I'm going through worries or anything he just says hey have you read your bible have you read your bible have you talked with god yeah and truly the the word of god i find no better hope than through the word of god absolutely yeah so the flip side of that though is that um you know part of the, the deal of anxiety is that um if, when i start to trust god i'm trusting there's two ways i can trust him I can trust him for something. So I want my loved one to be healed from cancer. I'm trusting God for that healing. I'm praying for that. And I'm trusting him that he'll do that. But if he chooses not to, then my faith has to relocate. And I have to trust God in that situation. Okay? This is what I want, God. But this is what you've chosen to give to me. And so I'm going to trust that in that situation you're going to take care of me. Uh, and I need to come to a point of acceptance where I can say, okay, not my will, I'd be done. This is what I want, you know, but this is what I'm willing to, I'm willing to accept it because it's from your hand and I trust your heart. You know, I don't, I don't like what I'm going through. And nowhere in scripture does it say you must like your, your persecutions, your tribulations. Yeah. Uh, but um, in those you, you trust and you trust that God's going to take care of you and see you through to the end. Um, and then that takes care of the anxiety. Uh, one thing, yeah, you said uh, that, <clears throat> you know, you have faith that, uh, you know, God's going to heal your family from cancer. And if he doesn't, you said you got to put it towards, that faith towards me again before I interpret toward accepting God's will to accepting God's will yeah. and I think that you said um, before you said that you had, it was your personal testimony you had to train your emotions yes uh, and that's very, I feel like, to me I feel like that's very very important and that's a step that 
you have to get through because I mean as you see like it just made me think of the movie God's Not Dead I don't know if y'all seen that or not but I mean to summarize towards the end of the movie uh, the student is trying to teach the class about God when the professor is an atheist but towards the end you kind of learn that why, why he became an atheist is because according to his testimony is he had his grandma was in the hospital and he was his grandma was very a very strong Christian woman and he was really young and he prayed that uh, God would save her and when she died he said why why is this such strong God such powerful God why she spent her whole life leaning towards him and offer her to get cancer and die and that really I talk about anxiety or emotion training your emotions I mean that's really hard to go through I feel like but I feel like he would he really had his emotions trained to put his face towards God's will still just being young and you see how that how that can really take a turn yeah there's a lot of people that walked away from their faith because God didn't do something they wanted him to. Um, and of course, you know, God's God. He gets to be in charge and do whatever he chooses. Uh, but in order for us to trust someone, we need to feel that they're trustworthy. And if my concept of God is part A over here where I pray for something and you give it to me, uh, he does that. He does answer our prayers and do miracles and all of that. I believe in that. but. Sometimes he says no, and when he says no, then we have to relocate our faith at that point, or we get left behind, or we get trapped in this this doubt and fear, and it, and it uh, is not a pleasant place to be. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about anxiety and depression and, and all of this, and I definitely do not agree with this, but I want to I hear y'all's opinions on this. Because I've, I've heard pastors say from the pulpit that if you have anxiety, if you have depression, you're not saved. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true at all. I think no. we'll, I think one can be a Christian, one can be saved, and still go through bouts of depression and anxiety. But I want to hear y'all's opinions on that. Absolutely. I think you see that in the Psalms with David as he's expressing his concerns. You know, I think Psalm 73 where he's talking about, why do you let the wicked prosper? Uh, you know, he, yeah. he, I forget exactly the wording, but, you know, when I thought about this, it, it upset me until I went into the, to the tabernacle and then I learned your truth. So anxiety is... In the first place, it's a naturally occurring thing. Um, you want it to be there because it's designed to protect you. You just don't want it to run your life. It's, it should not get to drive the bus. Um, and there are some things that we should be anxious about. You know, if you've uh, done something wrong, then the pending punishment, you know, the anxiety for that can cause you to repent or move toward obedience. So it does serve a purpose. But it's when it takes over your life and all you can think about is negative and you're not moving, trusting God, um, then uh, then you're going to be stuck in anxiety. Um, And so the faith process is a learning process that God does over and over again until we grow 
you know, I can go back through things in my life that happened and I'm like, oh, I can trust God there. When my mom died of cancer, um, it, it was a horrible experience, but it taught me that I could face death and not have to be afraid. And so a whole level of fear of death went away at that point because I saw that God was faithful in that deal. When God brought my wife um, into my life and told her she had to marry me and we got together and so forth, I said, hey, God can provide in that area so I can trust him there. But there's still, uh, even now, there's still areas of my life where I struggle to trust. And I struggle to trust because I haven't had the experience of seeing God be faithful. Uh, and so he likes to bring us into new circumstances that we haven't experienced before and prove himself so that we can learn to trust. Um, and it's, it's something that we have to do intentionally. It doesn't just happen to us. We have to choose. Uh, I will trust you. I will trust you in this situation. Yeah. Tyler, what do you think? Um, I think I think there's a reason why uh, Christians push the word repent so much. Uh, I say push. Uh, you know, I feel like the the kind of people that say that are people that probably are struggling with that same thing they're judging you for. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, so uh, that's. I, one thing, I, I don't know if I heard or watched a movie on it, but uh, we talked about it a little bit from not the last one, but the last one I was on, is it's all about what's in our hearts. Yeah. It's all about our, our faith and, and you know, our love for Christ is not, that we, we give everything to Him. And when we do, because we, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like as humans, there are times where we sin and it comes down to recognizing that sin and knowing that God knows what's in our heart you know they say saved people who are saved can be unsaved right but I think that's only if what's in our heart is not there anymore if that makes sense I think it's helpful to recognize that sin comes into play whenever um, we're struggling to believe and um, if I'm if I'm feeling like that God doesn't love me or that I'm not good enough or that um, my needs aren't being met then I look for a way to meet those needs on my own that's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Gethsemane or the Garden of Eden uh, when Satan said you can't trust God, he's lied to you he's trying to keep something away from you you have to take care of yourself um, nothing changed in the reality they were still living in a garden with all their needs provided, walking in communion with God every day, but their perspective shifted to believe that oh, things are not right. And so they disobeyed out of that fear, out of that pain, uh, that this God that they trusted was no longer trustworthy and they needed to act. So when, we, when we're struggling with that, then we choose things that are not uh, godly, that are not right, as a way of coping with uh, what we're feeling and what we're telling ourselves. And so working to recognize, you know, what it is we're telling ourselves that is motivating the simple behavior uh, is a way for us to begin to change it. So going back to Romans 12 too, this is how you renew your mind. I'm telling myself that I can't trust God. 
my, the truth is that I can, that he's always been faithful, and I can rely on him. So instead of me doing something unwise financially over here, I come over here and go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to supply this need. Uh, um, if I'm feeling unworthy or unloved and so forth, I might look at an outside relationship, outside my marriage, to begin to feel like, hey, I'm still desirable. People will, you know, women will want me. They'll, 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 you know, over here creates this behavior over here. Uh, and the, the solution is to address the pain uh, that says I'm not good enough, I, I need to be validated or valued, and recognizing that you already are, God loves you, He's given you everything that you need, you can, you can trust Him uh, in that aspect as well. So that's, that's the dynamic where sin comes into play and uh, being able to, to renew our minds, to change the way that we're thinking gives us the power to behave differently. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Uh, so he's talking about self-talk. Say to yourself, or the word reckon is an accounting term, put it down on paper that you are dead to sin. And as you're able to pull that truth down into your emotions, then your behavior changes because you see yourself in a different way than you did before. And you're able to be obedient out of that, that new perspective. I think it's Second Corinthians ten. It talks about taking every thought captive, yeah, and bringing it in obedience of Christ and so forth. So that that's the concept that he's addressing there. Yeah. So one thing, brother Ken, that you had mentioned was uh, of regarding faith and, and and anxiety and everything that we can allow the circumstances in our lives to pretty much take control of of everything and. Which it's not necessarily, I mean, it's not right to do, I don't think. But no. one thing that that you had mentioned last week, I, I think it was, I think you had mentioned it last week about how Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. I mean, he knew what was going to happen, but he still wept. And I started reading that that passage again in in John eleven. And one thing caught my attention in John 11, verse 21. Uh, Martha went out to greet Jesus when he was arriving in Bethany. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been there, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yeah. And then she keeps on, she, she goes on to say, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. And so just, it, it, it caught my attention. I mean, Mary later on went and said the same thing to Jesus. She said, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yes. And I think this rings true for me, especially just, especially at, at this time of year, just because we, we just celebrated eight years of my brother being in heaven. I say celebrated. It's, I don't know if that's be the right word, but I mean, he turned, it was eight years, yeah, eight years ago this month that, he went to be with our Savior. And I remember when that, that day, when we got the news about my brother passing away, and I remember my mom's told me that, she said, oh, unless God performs a miracle, your brother's in heaven. I remember my first, my initial question was, well, God, why? 
Why yeah. did this have to happen? My second reaction was the sin where I just I punched a hole in a wall. And I say it's a sin now, but at that time I didn't feel like it was a sin. Yeah. I felt like that was the only thing I could do without yeah. getting in sin. But my reaction of anger was not towards my brother for dying, but rather towards God for letting yeah. it happen. Yes. And I think that's where when come dealing with depression and, and anxiety and all that stuff, I think that's where it comes to be a sin, when we let it take control. Right. And it just Martha said to Jesus, said, had you been here, my brother wouldn't wouldn't have died but I know that whatever you ask of God he will answer and, and what caught my attention was that but is however yeah. I'm accepting your will yeah sometimes it's not easy to do that it's not I'm thinking about the three hours that Christ spent in the Garden of Gethsemane, basically praying a prayer that he knew the Father wouldn't answer. And his prayer was, let this cup pass from me, which, in other words, I don't want to have to go to the cross. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it took him three hours and that he was in such deep emotional distress is really encouraging to me because it means when I'm going through a situation like that where I want to punch a ball, uh, I know that's part of the emotional battle that what my human side is saying, no, I don't want this. Please don't make me do this. Please don't make me walk through this. Uh, as long as I come to that point that says, not my will, thine be done, uh, then you know, I think it's natural for us to expect those kind of battles are going to go on. When you read the book of Job, you see Job walking through the same thing. You know, his first pronouncements are really faith-filled. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But when you get into the middle of the book, all of a sudden, Job is expressing his displeasure at God. Why are you treating me this way? What have I done to you to be treated this way? And then at the end of the book, you see God coming along, and, he, and basically, long story short, he says, uh, I'm God, you're not. Yeah. Deal with it. And Job says, okay, I'm going to shut up now, because I have nothing else to say. And, but then God comes back and he says to Job's friends, you've not told the truth about him, but if you ask Job to pray for you, then I will hear him uh, and I will heal you. Uh, so there was never any disrespect for Job, even for the struggle that he was going through, because God recognized that's part of the human processing that we have to do to get from the reality of what we're experiencing faith that we need to be able to trust. Something that, that... I know some people believe, and I don't believe this either. When, like I said, some people say that one, a Christian cannot go through these, through these emotions, and it convey, conveys the idea that that a Christian has to be this this rock solid person, which we're not. Yeah. I know I'm definitely not. But I also know that when some people hear this being preached, because I, I, I thought these things when I heard this being preached, that, well, 
I've gone through some of these things, so does that mean that I'm not a Christian? Mm-hmm. And it makes it makes a person doubt their salvation. And I want to point out as well, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That life that God offers us is eternal. Nothing that we do or think or say can take that away. Once we've believed and trusted in God, we're his forever. And, and that's that for me is a great encouragement. And, and that's one thing that I try to hold fast to when when I feel like things are going out of my control. Yeah. In Hebrews 5.8, there's a verse that troubled me for a long time because I wasn't sure that I understood what it was saying. Uh, it's talking about Christ, and it says, uh, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Of course, our core belief about Christ is he was never disobedient. Uh, he perfectly kept God's law, and so uh, this idea of learning obedience is kind of problematic. Like, what do you mean he learned obedience? You know, he got spanked by his parents, and he started doing what he was supposed to do. Uh, and when I when I was thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane, I recognized that that's what this is talking about. Uh, those three hours that he was going through, he wasn't rebelling. He wasn't saying, "I won't do it." He was just saying, "I don't want to do it." Uh, and that, that suffering that he experienced moved him to the place of surrender where he was able to, to do what God uh, wanted him to do. It's like learning to play the guitar. It's a skill that you don't have until you pick it up and work with it for a while, and now, okay, I've learned to play the guitar. Uh, and so I think Christ learned obedience through that process, and I don't think we get to avoid it he certainly didn't if you read the gospels it's full of his emotions some of it which is very negative he was disappointed he was uh angry he uh dealt with discouragement you know haven't have i chose haven't i chose the 12 of you and one of you is the devil uh or we say to the disciples will you also go away um so we get to have negative emotions um we just don't want to stay there uh, yeah, because that's when we turned our back on God's truth. Definitely. So we're coming pretty close to the end of our time, and I think we keep on we can keep on digging deeper into the subject. But I I have a few more questions though. So okay. And I think you you've kind of answered one of these questions. Um, can anxiety and depression be confused with each other, and can one lead into the other? Yes, they, they can be because they're both emotions and we don't, we don't feel in words, we feel in concepts. And so sometimes it's necessary for us to sit down and figure out, is this depression, is this anxiety, is this anger? And sometimes the answer is yes, it's, it's all of them. Uh, you know, we're act, act, acting in different ways. So if you're depressed because you feel like you're not good enough, then you start looking at potential situations which might come along um, and catch you in your weakened state, then you start having anxiety about those things and you have to uh, you have to deal with now you have to deal with the, the depression and the anxiety at the same time. Okay. So my next question is how can how can one deal with anxiety? 
take. So the best thing to do is what I was just describing, uh, which is start by we start by leaning into emotions, and that opposite of what we do. We depress them. We try to cover them up. You know, I want to cheer myself up, so I'm not feeling them. But those emotions are telling us something about what's going on in our heart. And so if I will lean into the depression and and get curious about it, what is it? that's going on that's making me feel this way what am i telling myself what's my self-talk what am i reckoning myself to be that's causing this emotion and if if i can capture it and i can put a label on it uh, that says oh this is me saying i'm not good enough or this is me saying that i can't count on god or whatever that that core concept is that's motivating it then i can address it i can bring truth uh, into that perspective uh, and a lot of times I already know the truth, I've just forgotten the truth. So um, I need to be reminded. Um, I've had um, brothers in Christ, you know, find me in moments of struggle and tell me things I already knew, but I'd forgotten them. And when they spoke those faith words to me, I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what's right. God's always taking care of me, He's going to take care of me now. So I can move out of this depression or anxiety. Um, and move toward the truth. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna strengthen me. And you were talking earlier about reading your Bible. You know, that's number one good source uh, for those what I call faith words or truth words. Uh, what do I need to know about my situation from God's perspective? Uh, and another thing, you know, Ephesians talks about speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Music has the capacity to open up our heart. Uh, and allow that truth to sink in in a way more powerfully uh, than even just scripture. And so it can be very helpful. Uh, prayer uh, is also helpful because as I start speaking to God, I start recognizing, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just start laughing like, yep, yep, okay, <laughs> I, I figured it out. Yeah, this is what I need to do. Um, and some um, what I call meditation or content, uh, contemplative prayer where I'm, just sitting and listening. Uh, I'm giving God the opportunity to speak to me because I'm not speaking to Him. You know, in a normal prayer, uh, we pray to God. We express what's on our heart, and so forth. And so that's our habit of conversation. But then we need to be able to sit in silence and allow God to speak back to us so that we hear what He has to say as well. So those are some of the techniques that I like to use to, uh, to help move out of that depression or anxiety. Got any thoughts, Tyler? Wow. That, yeah, just while, I'm just going to use the word while as my thought. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing that I really, I push a lot in my personal life is meditating in his presence and in his word because, you know, um, I've had a lot of things that really push my emotions to go certain directions and the only one that I find that would that finds honestly not even the best healing but the only healing is meditating in God's word and it's not it's not so much of meditating for 30 seconds or one minute God please take this away okay thanks like full five ten minutes or however long it takes to really rest in God's uh, presence and, yeah. and, uh, and in his word. And it really does. It really gives us, it really, it really 
eases my anxiety when I have it and, and peace in my heart. So definitely excellent. You know, one of one of my best friends, and I've I've said this many times before. I think he he's one of my go-to guys. Right, if I'm feeling like I've got a anxiety coming up, creeping up in me, I'll give him a call. And he lives in West Virginia, so sometimes I'll be calling him, and it's midnight over here, and it's like one or two in the morning over there. And I feel bad about it, but he'll answer his phone anyways, and he'll say, "Hey, man, what's going on? Let's talk through. Let's talk me through this. Talk me through what you're feeling. Tell me." exactly what you're feeling and I'll say sometimes I just I don't know what I'm feeling I just I feel angry and 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 sad and this and that all at the same time and he says okay have you read your bible and and he's just he constantly reminds me hey spend time with God spend time with God and that is definitely one of the most helpful things another one is just talking with someone as you said brother Ken we and especially these men, we tr- we tend to do that, just bottle up our emotions. And that's that's one thing that I'm very grateful with my for my wife that she constantly says says to me, "Hey, you don't have to bottle up your emotions." Yes. Just talk with me. Talk with someone. Yeah. And, yeah. and definitely, that's that's one reason why I love Jeremiah thirty three three so much, because. It says, call out to me. And, you know, I've heard some people say, when you're talking with God, you have to talk with Him in respect. And that is true. You, 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 we do have to honor and fear God and, and, and respect God. But God is a loving Father, and He's not going to mind for us to go up to Himself every once in a while and say, hey, why is this happening? I don't understand. No. I mean, that's exactly what Martha did. Yes, and they were going through a difficult time. They just lost their brother, and Jesus knew what was going to happen later on, but He let them go up to Him and say, "Hey, why did this have to happen?" Yeah. And I think as long as we get back to the point of saying, "Okay, well, God, you know what's best. I'm going to trust in you." That's yeah. what He wants. So Jesus heard her, he validated her emotions, and then he responded with faith words. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes. <laughs> in me, though you were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes. And I think that oh. is I think that is a key question right there. Do you believe this? Yeah. And I think we definitely could keep on going and keep on talking. But we're running out of time now. And so Brother Ken, okay. again, I'd like to ask if you have any any other words of advice for our listeners. I think basically the key is just recognizing that anxiety when it comes. Um, like I say, it was such a part of my life for so long, I didn't realize that's what I was experiencing. Uh, and so being on the lookout for that, you know, to me and Corinthians 10 have a readiness to avenge, uh, you know, when, whenever you're dealing with these negative um, emotions or thoughts. And then, um, you know, building faith 
resources into your life, having friends who will speak truth to you, uh, having a knowledge of scripture. So many times uh, when God wants to answer me, he pulls out passages of scripture that I've memorized. It says, remember this, uh, and it helps. And then, um, you know, listening to uh, faith building music, um, and, and you know, having those those uh, words in your heart. Uh, there was a time in my life when the hymn "Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus" really ministered to me. I was struggling to trust Him uh, in the process of finding a mate, and He just kept using the words of that hymn to say, "Trust me, trust me, trust me. I've got a plan. You're going to like it, but this is not it. So tr- trust me until." Uh, my plan comes to fruition and you're good to go. Um, So just, you know, taking uh, deliberate action uh, from moving from where we are to where we need to be. And if we know the the steps, we know what we need to do. uh, It gets easier. We're not just stumbling around in the dark. So one thing I want to point out in the book of James, he talks often about faith. And yes. one one thing he says in particular is that faith without works is dead. Yes. So faith has to be moving. When we stop dead in our tracks, we are not acting in faith. And... However, I don't think there's anything wrong with stopping every once in a while and saying, okay, God, I need to hear you speak. Yeah. I, I love the words of the man that Jesus was, they approached Jesus and asked him to heal his daughter, and he said, I will if you believe. And he said, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And I think we're all in that spot, you know, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm leaning in as far as I can, but I'm going to need you to help me, because I, I can only go so far and so strengthen my faith so that I can trust you more. Absolutely. And Brother Ken, again, it's such a blessing to be able to talk with you and, and visit with you. Tyler, it's always a blessing to have you on as well. And who knows, we might have another episode to to talk more okay. about this subject. But again, thank you all for listening. And Tyler and Brother Ken, thank you for talking to me. Y'all tune in next time. Thank you.